¿Qué onda? What's up? You're listening to Brown Raíces, a space where I talk about the rich Chicanx history and cultura, discuss the issues affecting brown communities, and where we explore badass, groundbreaking Chicanx and Latinx literature. Primero, thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm so happy you're here, and whether you're walking, driving, on the bus, en el gimnasio, haciendo quehaceres, Whatever you're doing, thanks for making space in your day to listen. I promise you'll learn something new today. I'm your host, Jesse Rubio, and today I am talking about the Chicano Moratorium of 1970. Sin más rodeos, let's get into it. It's so nice to sit and chat a little bit with you all. I was looking at the stats of the podcast and I was so surprised at the locations where my podcast is being heard, and it makes me so happy. I have the majority of people tuning in from Califas, of course, up and down the state from San Diego, L.A., Moreno Valley, Morgan Hill, Stanford, Oakland, San Francisco, Sacramento. But I also have a lot of you listening from Nashville, Tennessee, Salt Lake City, Utah, Denver, Colorado, Dallas, and the most random of all, but super cool, I have six unique downloads from New Zealand. That's wild. And just seeing the stats honestly motivates me and makes me want to echarle más ganas. Keep sharing the episodes with your familia and friends, and I'm sending you all many, many virtual hugs. Okay, on a different note, I have some chisme slash update. I have started a new full-time position as an academic coach. I will be working elbow to elbow, side to side, shoulder to shoulder, rolling up them sleeves with kinder through third grade teachers at a school in downtown Phoenix. I will serve as a coach and I'm super excited for this new role. Although I am super excited, I'm also very nervous, guys. Truth is, I have worn many hats throughout my career in education, including certified mediator at a continuation school, tutor for elementary students, summer literacy teacher, fourth grade dual immersion teacher, substitute, on-screen instructor, Spanish tutor, and most recently, a professional learning specialist. Although I have been in many roles, I have never held a coaching role before, and my imposter syndrome is starting to kick in. I don't know if it is a profession thing, a woman thing, a Chicana thing, but I feel as though I don't deserve this role. Between you and I, acá entre nos, I feel as though I will not be taken seriously. I feel that people will look at me and think I'm not qualified enough. I know all that I'm thinking and feeling is just inside my head and not true, but I can't help it. I need to keep reminding myself that I was interviewed and offered the position because the school leaders saw something in me and that made them say she's the one. Talking to people that care about me and, and really love me has really helped too. I will let you guys know how it goes. But the moral of this story is that imposter syndrome is normal and not unique to me or you. So if you ever felt that way, we just need to learn how to suppress those negative thoughts and remind ourselves of how chingones we are. You're a baddie, I'm a baddie, and we deserve to be in spaces where not everybody looks or thinks like us. Okay, ahora sí. Let's get into the metal mole of this episode, Chicano Moratorium of 1970. The date was August 29, 1970. The location was East L.A. 
and picture this. Between 20,000 to 30,000 Chicanos marched down Whittier Boulevard in protest against the Vietnam War as part of the National Chicano Moratorium Movement. I had to Google the definition of moratorium when researching this topic because I was unclear on what it meant. And what I found was the following. Essentially, a moratorium is a temporary suspension of an activity or law until future consideration warrants lifting the suspension. And in this case, the purpose of the march was to bring attention to the disproportionate percentage of Chicanos being killed daily in war, and they were asking for an end to the Vietnam War. For context, a lot of Mexicans and Puerto Ricans served in the Vietnam War, and a lot of them were put in combat positions and did a lot of things where they had to sacrifice somebody. So they would either walk through trigger points carrying guns or would go out on night ambushes. And of course, the macho Mexicano attitude and ego also made Mexicans take extra risks that others wouldn't take, ending in tragedies and deaths. The Chicano Moratorium was a movement of Chicano activists that organized anti-Vietnam War demonstrations and activities in Mexican-American communities all throughout the Southwest and other regions from November 1969 through August 1971. And a key slogan for the movement was, Our struggle is not in Vietnam, but in the movement for social justice at home. The movement was coordinated by the National Chicano Moratorium Committee and led largely by activists from the Chicano student movement, UMAS. They also had the support and engagement of David Sanchez and the Brown Beret organization. Many young Chicanos felt they had become trapped in the draft system because they could only escape the draft if they were enrolled in school. And unfortunately, if you have listened to previous episodes, especially on the East LA walkouts, Chicano students had high pushout rates and very few made it to college, which made them ideal for the draft. The Vietnam War also diverted federal funds away from social programs that helped poverty in barrios in the U.S. We all know how the system has always placed hurdles on people of color, and the war was not an exception. If anything, their draft system was rigged and targeting poor youth of color. But let's talk specifically about the Chicano Moratorium that happened in August of 1970. This March is historical. The march started as a peaceful event, which began with a parade on Whittier Boulevard with leaders, speakers, music bands for Glorico dancers, lowriders, art banners, you name it. People of all ages, including children and elders, were part of this historic gathering. Rosalio Muñoz, a moratorium co-organizer, describes the event in an interview with the LA Times as glorious. In his own words, it was like both a fiesta and a political movement walking down the heart of East LA. He mentions how every barrio and small town was represented there. People had come from out of state to support the moratorium. Chicano demonstrators were together in solidarity, marching down the streets of Whittier Boulevard, bringing attention to the movement and hoping for change. And then, shit hit the fan when L.A. County Sheriff deputies confronted the demonstrators 
that were gathered in what was then called Laguna Park in East L.A. They said they had gotten reports that a nearby liquor store was being robbed, so they chased the suspects into the park and declared the gathering of thousands to be an illegal assembly. But a lot of witnesses say that the sheriffs ignited the disturbance that day. This is what went down, regardless of the shoplifting being true or not. L.A. sheriffs broke up the crowd, said it was an illegal assembly, asked them to leave, and since people refused, they started beating on women and children, and police started releasing tear gas, chasing people and shooting rubber bullets to scare demonstrators away. Of course people would respond to that. Guys, it became a riot, mayhem, chaos, un desmadre completo. Police cars were set on fire. People were running everywhere. Police and civilians were injured. And the truth is that there was a lot of anger that had been simmering for a long time between the police and all the injustices, the prejudice, the discrimination that Mexican-Americans confronted on a daily basis for years. That is in part why this moratorium was so violent and traumatic. We all know what happened during the Zoot Suit Riots. And if you don't know about the Zoot Suit Riots, I have an episode on it that you should listen to. But the point is that Mexican-Americans have always been targets of racial profiling and discrimination. There's also a short documentary in the UCLA Film and Television Archive that captured the brutal police response to the protest. And I'll try to link it in the show notes in case you're interested. As a result, many were injured that day, and three demonstrators died. One was a 35-year-old man, and the other was a 15-year-old boy, Brown Beret, that was in charge of carrying a first aid kit. And the third death was of the trailblazing journalist Ruben Salazar, the voice of the pueblo. He was reporting on the event that day with his crew and they decided to enter a tavern close to Placita Olvera to get a beer and step away from the heat a bit. Well, the L.A. sheriff deputies showed up saying that there were armed people in there, and right there, that day, they struck a tear gas canister. It was a 10-inch torpedo-shaped missile that was launched, and it hit Ruben Salazar in the head, and it killed him instantly. Ruben Salazar had been a reporter in L.A. and overseas and was a successful columnist in the L.A. Times. Salazar navigated the Mexican newsrooms very easily and carried himself also very well in American newsrooms. He was a foreign correspondent, which is one of the most prestigious roles in a newsroom. And after working internationally, he came back to the States in a time where civil unrest was still in all its fervor and agitation and the Mexican-American communities and barrios were changing. He became a voice. He wrote on, on behalf of the Mexican-American community in a time where brown people were portrayed all over the media as bandidos, criminals, and low class. He was a visionary, and his death was devastating in the Mexican-American community. He is a martyr. His assassination was like that of Kennedy Brothers and Martin Luther King Jr., Laguna Park was renamed Ruben Salazar Park to honor him. After the Chicano moratorium, a lot of investigations took place. 
and there is evidence that the National Chicano Moratorium Committee Committee was infiltrated by an agent from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the ATF, which led to the ousting of the leader, Rosalio Muñoz. And that's just bullshit. It just pisses me off that there's gatherings and then there's infiltrations, and we see this pattern. But this guy, Eustancio Martinez, revealed in a L.A. press club press release that he had worked as a police informer among Chicano activists for two years. Can you imagine that? Martinez told the press that he had been an informer and agent provocateur for the ATF under instructions from his supervisor so they would be able to make arrests and raid the National Chicano Moratorium Committee headquarters. And as you can see, if you have heard previous episodes, there has been a pattern of just infiltrations in mobilization committees. Whenever social change movement meetings take place, there is also the police or someone in, in power trying to put an end to the fight for justice. As you can see, if you have heard previous episodes, there has been a pattern of infiltrations in mobilization committees. Whenever social change movement meetings take place, there is also the police or someone in power trying to put an end to the fight for justice. At the end of it all, the moratorium became notable for the death of Ruben Salazar, who was a prominent investigative reporter known for his writings on civil rights and police brutality. The deputy, Thomas Wilson, of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, he fired a tear gas canister into the Silver Dollar Cafe which killed Salazar, and Wilson was never punished for his actions. Many regarded the killing of Salazar as an assassination since Salazar was the most prominent Chicano voice. Jesus Trevino, a Chicano director and writer, says in an interview with LA Times that the true legacy of the Chicano moratorium that day was that it inspired a generation of Chicano activists to go out in the world and become community lawyers, educators, doctors, filmmakers, artists, writers, and social activists. A whole generation was inspired to make the community better. People were thinking of so social change and acting on it. Another LA Times journalist, Robert Lopez, says that for him, the moratorium left an enduring legacy in diversifying newsrooms and media. Two years later, after the moratorium, CCNMA, which stands for California Chicano News Media Association, was created. And one of their missions is to provide educational and financial assistance and job placement for journalism students of color. Another legacy of the moratorium in 1970 was the public seizing of space to reflect Mexican identity people began asserting their identities and making their culture known. And I'll leave you with this, guys, with this amazing quote from Rosalio Muñoz, who was the co-organizer of the Chicano Moratorium. We have to honor the past and be true to the present and have faith and hope for the future. Y con eso, mi gente, we come to an end of this Brown Raíces episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about the Chicano Moratorium of 1970, the biggest gathering of Mexican-American demonstrators in U.S. history. 
Don't forget to follow on Instagram at Brown Raices for quotidian things. And if you liked this episode, make sure you share it with your familia and friends. Hasta la próxima.